The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. Do you tend to be the kind of person that, I don't know, you, you find it easier to fit in and kind of go with the flow? Or are you the kind of person that, you know, you like to rock the boat? Maybe you're the one at family get-togethers that starts the arguments. I don't know. Where, where do you tend to land? Do you find it easier to fit in and go with the flow? Or do you prefer to stand up or, you know, make a noise? For most of us, the vast majority of us, we, we find it, you know, a little bit preferable and socially acceptable to kind of go with, you know, what people are doing around us, right? To kind of fit in. I mean, every one of us, we're in elementary school and high school. And at that stage of life, I mean, you learn how to fit in. You want to have a peer group. You want to belong. I mean, it is one of those like essential needs of every person to belong. And as a result, the cost of belonging is that you have to get along and be willing to fit in. Even when sometimes it's a little uncomfortable and you have to give something up in order to fit in. Now, I would have approached this message and this idea a little differently before the pandemic, but I feel like because of the last 18 months, it's, it's teed up for me to just throw this out there. Maybe before the last 18 months, you never even heard the term or the word sheeple, which is people who act like sheep. But because of the pandemic, this is not me saying it, okay? I'm just saying everybody else is saying it. Like no matter where, no matter what views you have about COVID, masks, vaccines, what should or shouldn't be going on, wherever you land, you've been told and taught and you probably even believe that the other side is a bunch of sheeple. They, not you, but they have been, they've bought into lies and they're believing people that they agree with. And as a result, they're just going with the crowd. They're just a bunch of sheep who've blindly believed the wrong thing and are just going with the crowd. And, and then the other side thinks that about you. And so everybody's calling the other side a bunch of sheeple. And, and, and I would say this, both before and after the pandemic, it's fair to say that most people act a little bit more like sheep. Now, I'm not calling you out, but I am saying, I think that if you were to watch broadly, you know, take a broad lens of history, most people go with the flow. And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't you? I mean, if going with popular thinking or going with the, your peer group or going with what's going on in your community, if going with the flow keeps you from getting ridiculed and mocked, if it keeps you from getting hurt or keeps you from having to pay too great of a cost, then why not just go with it? In fact, if standing out only invites ridicule and mocking. Maybe somebody attacks you on social media and then you cry that you're being persecuted. Or if standing out 
causes you to lose your job or, or get hit financially, then why stand out when you can just kind of go with the flow? And I know that all of you think that I'm trying to go after some, well, your mind's running towards some political issue. And I teed it up because I said, you know, this thing about politics, but I'm really talking about how every one of us respond, not during the pandemic, but in every moment and every situation in our life. And what we've also seen unfold over the last couple of years is even recognizing that good leaders are called evil and people who do evil are called good. And then there's this moment, and this is really what I wanna to get to. There's this moment. For, in, some, in some situations, it's a sudden moment where news breaks and all of a sudden you know what is really right and wrong. You know who is telling the truth and who is telling a lie. Sometimes it doesn't happen for years. But when the truth comes out, you discover that this one group or this one leader was telling a lie and the others were telling the truth. You believed a lie or you were following the truth. And there's these moments in history, there's these moments in our life where, you, where truth comes out or, the, or a, a tragic or significant event happens and then suddenly you know who's a friend and who's a foe Who's on the side of right and who's on the side of wrong? And that's really what the book of Revelation is about. It's Jesus gave a vision to the apostle John, the last living disciple and apostle of Jesus, who is isolated and exiled onto the island of Patmos, a prison island where one Sunday morning, he has a vision of the end of times. And he writes it out, it's 22 chapters of this vision Jesus gives John about the end of time. But really when John wrote it, he wrote it specifically to seven different churches. And the book opens where he's giving notes from Jesus to these seven different churches. And John is really writing it because he's trying to encourage most of these churches who feel like they're living in the end times. They feel like they're living in the apocalypse. And so the words of Jesus are an encouragement with very specific instructions about how you live when, when it's the end of time, when, when it's as if like there's this moment where you suddenly can see it crystal clear who was good and who was bad, who was right and who was wrong. And so one of those notes was to the church of Sardis, Sardis, Turkey, was a very large and significant, wealthy, powerful city. And the city of Sardis, which I said was in Sardis, Turkey, is, is a unique city. And so let me give you a little context before I read what Jesus said to this church. Um, Sardis was a city that basically was like a gold rush city. So if you think back, like way, way back, you know, go back American history, like 100 years ago, where there was these gold rush towns popping up in the West, right? Like they would find gold in a riverbed in California, and then suddenly thousands of people would rush over there, and a town would suddenly pop up in that community. And people would get rich, and they would build homes, and they would have a stage, you know? And so Sardis was basically like that. It was a gold rush City. In fact, the story, the legend of Midas and Midas's touch came from uh, Sardis. 
where people got like suddenly wealthy, but here's what happened. It became a has-been city. It was wealthy, it was powerful, it was prominent, but then like imagine like the gold rush where the gold is all stripped and then you have nothing left. And, and this is the city of Sardis. It's like a, it's a has-been wealthy city. We got a bunch of people living there who used to be prominent and powerful. And, and, and so the church is in the city and it's actually one of the few churches in this time that was not experiencing persecution. So let me just jump in. I'm going to read in Revelation chapter three. It opens with this, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Okay, so a couple things I want to just pull right out to you right off the bat is he writes again to the angel of the church of Sardis. Um, one of the things that Jesus does to each of these churches is he's reminding them that there is more going on than you see. To the angel of the church of Sardis. He said, not to the pastors of the church of Sardis or to Smyrna or to Ephesus. He's saying there is human leadership over the church, but there's also spiritual leadership. God gives pastors to lead and protect and pastor the church, but he also commissions angels to watch over and protect and lead the church. And there, there's this other little glimpse that you get when he says to the angel of the church of Sardis, he's saying there, there's also an angel commission. There's more going on than you can recognize, which means there's also a spiritual battle going on. So you think it's just what you can see in the church, in our community, in your home, in your neighborhood, in our city, on the news. It's just what you can physically see. But he's, he's trying to give a little indication that there's more going on than meets the eye. That, that there's actually angels watching over the church because there's also a spiritual battle for the church and a spiritual battle for your home, for your children, for our schools, our neighborhoods, our cities, our nation for nations. And then he goes like this. He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. God not that there's multiple gods, but it's a figurative statement of the, he, this is the one speaking on behalf of the almighty, all-powerful God who rules over all things and the seven stars, which again is a little indication going back to this idea of Emperor Domitian over the Roman Empire, who's claiming himself, and actually it was the name he wanted people to refer to him as was Lord and God. And so this is a little shot over the bow from Jesus saying, no, 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 I am creator, I am Lord and God, and I am the savior of the world. So then he continues and he says this, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what time I will come to you. So to the church of Sardis, he writes a very different note than he does to these other churches. So what's going on here? What, what Jesus is saying to the church of Sardis is there's this really bad or really wrong rumor that there's a lot of life in this church 
that there's a lot of life in the church of Sardis. Man, if you go there, there's revival breaking out. If you go to that, I mean, that's the place to be. It's exciting. It's happening. Man, you got to go check out the church of Sardis. He goes, but it's a bad rumor. The reality is it's a dead church. There's no life change happening. It's not impacting its neighborhood. There's no, there's no souls being saved. There's no authentic worship being lifted to God. The city's not being transformed. It's making no difference in the world that I planted that church in. It's dead. It used to have life and it has the appearance of life, but it's like going into a tomb where the body lays. It looks like you could see the life, but it's gone. So Jesus is calling it out and he's saying to them, you look alive, but you're dead. You've, you've enjoyed the luxuries of the community. So interesting, right? Like Sardis is the only church of the seven that he writes to that is not experiencing persecution. In fact, not only are they not experiencing persecution, they're living well. Things are going great for them. They have the appearance of life. They have the appearance of peace, meaning they're getting along with their community. They're financially prospering. Things are going well for this church. Jesus is going, you look like you have peace. You look like you're getting along, but the reason you're, everything looks good is because you're going along with what everyone else is doing. There's nothing about you that would cause you to be persecuted. You're no different from everyone else in your community. You don't stand out. <laughs> you have the same kind of death that the rest of the community has. It's a dead city with a dead church. Jesus challenged to them. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And so to the Sardian Christians, Jesus gives this pretty strong note of a corrective challenge because you're the only church that's not being persecuted and there's a reason why you're not experiencing persecution. There's a reason why you're experiencing comfort and ease in your life. It's because there's nothing about you that stands up that is a threat to darkness. You are, you're as dark as the darkness. There's nothing about you that shines God's light or his love, your love is as evil as their evil. And so the challenge that we can take from this note, because remember, he's, he, in his writing, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, which means 2,000 years later, God's Spirit is still speaking to us today. And what is he saying? The, the key that we could jump out of the pages, if you could just take all of these words and put them into one statement, that's what I try to do, is this. Live set apart together. Live set apart together. They sound like contradictory statements, which is why I stuck them together. 
The challenge of Jesus to the church of Sardis was that they needed to live set apart, but do it together. Not separatists living on their own little compound or in their own little commune, not separatists, but set apart. Living set apart, living differently. One of the key challenges that jumps out of the whole book of Revelation is that Jesus is calling the church in the midst of threats and persecution, in the midst of danger, when all of the current events just look crazy, he calls the church and the people of God to live holy, to live set apart, to live different, but not to do it alone. You live differently and set apart, but you do it together. And the reason the church of Sardis was being corrected and challenged is because they had died. And every one of us can relate to this. Because for you and I, we were born with a spiritual death at work in us. A spiritual death that was at work from the beginning, taking our life. Sin separates us from relationship with God. Sin sets us on a life course that leads to not just physical death, but it causes us to do things that constantly corrupt us spiritually. It's reinforcing our spiritual death, and it's as if you're alive, but you're asleep in your, in your living because you're spiritually dead. And so the spiritual death in us, separating us from God, causing us to act and behave in a way that continues to pull us further and further away from God, and it sets us toward a forever separated from God and all that is good, eternal judgment. That's not just living dead, spiritually dead, or ending up physically dead, but a second death, forever separated from God. But Jesus, but Jesus came to give us life. So that people that are just going through the motions, dead cities and dead churches and spiritually dead people, Jesus come to wake, the, wake those that are asleep and to give life to the dead. How did he do this? By giving his life. Jesus comes and he takes the spiritual death that we carry on himself, sin. In the Bible, another author said, he who knew no sin became sin for us so he could give his life as the payment for sin, spiritual death. And so Jesus comes, he gives his life to pay the ultimate penalty for sin, which is giving his life as the eternal death payment. So when Jesus died, he died once for all. He paid all of the payment for, for sin. But Jesus not only died because he was still perfect. So his, he gave his life the payment for sin, but sin couldn't keep him in the grave because after he died, he came back to life victorious over sin. That horrible curse. He freed us from the fear of death. Not just physical death, but the second death. Because Jesus conquered eternal judgment. So anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven and given new, new and forever life. So here's the thing, in Sardis, they had a temple, the temple to Artemis. And it was like, you know, people use like the term like Mother Earth. Well, this was their way of like, they worship Mother Goddess, who only brought them death. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life 
you'd have forever life. And so Jesus, when he gives his life, he frees us from sin, he conquers death, and he liberates us from the eternal death sentence. So anyone who believes in him is forgiven and given this new and forever life. And I just wanna, wanna give you an opportunity right now for every one of you. If right now you don't know that true eternal forever life. If, you don't, if you're not absolutely confident that you have faith in Jesus Christ that gives you the gift of forever life, then I have a gift for you. And I don't have to sell it. I don't have to convince you. I just simply explain to you what's going on in the church of Sardis. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to look like I'm alive, but be dead. I don't want to think that I've got it all figured out spiritually only to get to heaven and discover that I, or, you know, get into eternity and discover that I was all wrong. I wanna live my life in such a way that I know that I know that I know that the life of God is at work in me. And, and it's, a, it's a simple but radical step of putting your full faith in Jesus Christ. And I wanna give you that invitation right now. For those of you that there's a, there's a spiritual death inside of you, you say yes to Jesus by faith. You believe that he died for you forgiving you. You believe that he rose again, giving you new and forever life. And when you, when you put your faith in Jesus, God's spirit, which is eternal and invisible, comes and comes into your spirit, giving you that new and forever life. And if you're making that commitment, let us know. Text the name Jesus to 81411. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to send you some resources. We're going to follow up with you just to help you as you begin this new life through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as I've been going through this series, I've been reminding you that these, these notes to the churches are really not for people on the outside of the church. So if you just put your faith in Jesus, welcome home. You're now part of the family. And now these notes apply to you. <laughs> and so now let me kick over and continue to apply this to all of our lives. So what does it mean to live set apart together? Let me jump back into the words of Jesus to the church of Sardis as written by John. He writes this. And again, this is a little correct, not a little corrective, it's really corrective. He goes, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Meaning you're dead and there's, and you're, and there's parts of you that are almost dead. I'm thinking of like the princess bride here, like it's only mostly partly dead. <laughs> um, you're, you're dead, but there's still parts of the church that are a little bit alive. You better hurry up and strengthen it because it's about to die too. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and hold it fast and repent. So there's a couple key challenges that I want to pull out. And hopefully this is challenging and encouraging. The first key that you have to notice from this is Jesus is challenging the church to be set apart from living the same as everyone else around you. Be set apart from living the same. In a world of darkness, you should be light. In a world of evil, you should be good. In a world of wrongs, you should be the right. But guess what? In a world of darkness, when you're the light, the darkness calls the light bad. And if everyone agrees that evil is the right way, when you stand up and stand out with right, it is in contrast to their wrongs and they will call you wrong. 
I hope you're catching this. If you begin to live set apart from the same as everyone else, you look like you're in the wrong. See, the, the Sardian Christians, the reason they were experiencing no persecution, no threats, the reason why they were prospering and had goodwill in the community is because they didn't stand out. They were the same as everyone else. Now look, we've seen it all over the news for too long. A massive crowd of people do some terrible thing and there is safety in numbers. And you can even convince yourself that if there's enough people with you that you're doing a right thing. If there's, if there's a crowd with you, if there's a group of friends with you, if there's an army with you, then you convince yourself that you're in the right. But just because you're with a group that's doing the wrong thing, it doesn't make it right because you're in a peer group that believes it's right. And that's kind of what's going on in the church. Like I, if I catch my boys doing a wrong thing, just because they're all doing it together, that doesn't make it right. It means they're all gonna get into trouble. They all are gonna get consequences. And so Jesus is saying, watch out, strengthen what remains isn't about to die. You gotta wake up, you're asleep. And here, here's the trinity of villains that's at work in the, in the church of Sardis. And it's at work in the church of America. Compliance and complacency and comfort. People comply with the pressures of the world around them to yield their values and yield their faith and yield their right living. And then they allow complacency, easy living. There's this sleep-inducing touch from complacency that says, don't you just want it easy? And then comfort begins to sing a seductive song, lulling you to sleep, comfort telling you your faith costs too much. The church requires too much of you. Believing in Jesus shouldn't be that expensive. It shouldn't require that much effort. I mean, shouldn't your faith just be a part of your life and not be your whole life? That's comfort. I mean, can't you believe in Jesus and be connected to the church and then have this and this and this and enjoy all of the pleasures of the world around you? Comfort is lulling you into a lie. Complacency traps you in lazy and compliance will cause you to yield your beliefs. And so what does Jesus do? He goes, come on, wake up. Wake up in the seduction of comfort and complacency and compliance. They're about to take your life. It's going to cost you everything. You're giving everything up in the name of comfort. Wake up. Turn away from the way everyone else is going. They're going toward destruction. Remind you of the words of Jesus. Broad is the way that leads to death. Narrow is the way that leads to life. He goes, wake up, repent. The word repent means turn around and go the opposite direction. He goes, you got to recognize that you're being seduced into destruction. Wake up, repent, turn around and begin to go the opposite direction. And if it costs you everything, better to give up everything in this life if what you gain is eternity. Better to stand alone 
than to go to destruction together. Live set apart. And then he continues in his teaching and he says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. Now I had to read the whole thing quickly. So, you know, it doesn't read like, you know, you have a few people that didn't soil their britches, or I don't know, that's like a super old archaic word, but I, I couldn't think of another way of saying that. Like, you know, but the point is, he's not saying like soil like you immediately think of. Soil like their clothes are just stained, filthy. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. And what's the point? Set apart to live different. He goes, yet there are a few who live differently. They aren't dressed like everyone else. They're not acting like everyone else. They're not just going with the flow like everyone else. They stood up and they stood out and it's costing them. But here's my promise to them. They will not only look different today, but they have the promise of wearing purity and holiness in eternity. The word holy is a word that runs from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible. The word holy is the word set apart. And so that's why I didn't start by saying, you know, live holy together. Because I know most of you wouldn't, have, you, would have, you would have a very different perspective on what that word means. But it, it's the idea of this. Imagine um, they, they, they release new coins. Uh, like, you know, like they used to have the quarters that have all the different faces and backings. And, and so they, you have all these quarters that are running through circulation, but they, they want to take a few of those and set them apart to put them in like a museum so that people could go in years from now and go, oh, that's what those coins look like. So like maybe a coin collector would set apart a few as part of the collection. They're the same. They're circulated like everyone else, but they're set apart to be different. That's what Jesus is saying. There are a few that have been set apart. They're in circulation, but they live differently. That's what it means to be holy. You live with and among everyone else, but God has reached into the circulation and he's invited you to stand up and stand out, that you live different from the rest of the coins. You don't act like everybody else. You're not muddied and stained and got the filth all over you like everyone else. You live different. I love this quote from John Wesley. He said, give me 10 men who hate nothing but sin and love nothing but God and we can change the world. He goes, give me 10 men who are set apart from the world for God, and we could change the world. What's keeping you from being one of those 10? I don't know about you. When I read that quote many years ago, I read that quote actually when I was in Bible college. And I can distinctly remember praying and saying, God, help me to live my life in such a way that I'd be one of those 10. I don't know about you, but my prayer for LifeHouse is that our church would be one of those 10. That we be people who are set apart, holy. That we <laughs> hate sin and fear nothing but God. So that we can be a light in darkness, love in the midst of hate, hope in despair, sacrifice in the midst of selfishness. We can be generosity to the greed in the world around us. We can be prayerful where there's prayerlessness. 
We can live radically rather than compliant. Live differently. To the, to the tri, that trinity, that evil trinity of complacency and compliance and comfort, would we stand up and say no more? I am going to be fully awake to the lies of the enemy, to the pressures of unholy living. And I'm going to live my life pure before God. And anytime my life gets stained by sin, I'm not going to have to wait for someone to call me out. I'm going to begin to wash my life. God, cleanse me. God, forgive me. I love that verse. He says, if anyone would confess his sins, Jesus is faithful and just, and faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The moment that I recognize my life is stained by sin, I want to say, God, forgive me. God, cleanse me because I want my life to stand up and stand out. And then I want to give you one more challenge. Jesus said this to the church in Sardis. Verse four, yet you have a few people in Sardis. To be honest with you, I wrote this, the outline for this sermon a while ago. But as I read over it this week and was preparing, I, I was getting choked up because I was thinking about the church in Afghanistan. I realized that probably most of you don't have access to a lot of contacts with missionaries and people working in very dangerous places. But for the last 20 years, the church in Afghanistan has grown nearly as the fastest growing church on the planet. There's only one other nation and it's also a very, very persecuted nation that the church is growing faster. The church in Afghanistan for the last 20 years has spread radically and boldly and now is experiencing extraordinary threats. And I just thought about the words of Jesus. Yet I have a few among you that stand up and stand out, that are willing to live boldly and radically, that are not willing just to comply, that are not just gonna get pressured into going with the crowd. Their life is going to stand up and they're going to stand out. And, and Jesus promised to them is you will be clothed in white in eternity. I'll give you the gift of life. And, and here's the key. Yet there are a few among you. And the, the point is this, you're set apart together. He doesn't just take one of you and say, here, you got to do this alone. God invites us together to live different from the rest of the crowd. You don't have to do this alone. If, God, if, if in the moment at work you have to stand alone, then fine, you stand alone. But I promise you, that's the beauty of the church, that we're in this together. We are a family of faith. We are a family of friends. And, and so we say, welcome home. Welcome to the family of God. We encourage you to be part of our larger gatherings. And then as we scatter into the community throughout the week, we encourage you to gather in life groups. Get connected into a, a group, right? Because you're set apart together. You're not alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. The enemy will try to trick you into feeling isolated and alone. Because if he can make you feel isolated, you'll be, you'll be more willing to comply. But if you can get yourself into a group, you get together with other people who are standing strong in the faith. And right now there are Christians huddled up in homes, praying fervently, fasting in the country of Afghanistan. There are Christians interceding in their nation on behalf of the church. 
There are Christians across the planet that are standing in the gap and interceding for missionaries and leaders of NGOs that are trapped there, praying what? Yes, for their protection, but also praying that they would hold their faith. They would continue to live godly. They would continue to live boldly. They would continue to live unified and they would continue to live together. Come together. You are stronger together. You are set apart as holy together. So my challenge, let us live lives that are set apart. What what in your life right now is stained? It's obvious to you. If, If it weren't in your heart or in your insides and it was on your clothes, everyone could see it. I'm not trying to call you out or embarrass you. Not just the opposite. Jesus is saying, I'll cleanse you. I'll wash you. But after I wash you, I want to invite you to live set apart. What is that in your life? What commitment do you need to make to live set apart from and to? But don't do it alone. Make a commitment to do that together with others who are part of the family of God. Let me pray over you. Jesus, search us. God, my prayer is specifically for those who believe in Jesus right now, but who have allowed that seductive song of comfort and compliance and complacency to trick them into giving in, going with the flow and fitting in with the crowd. God, awaken us as a church. Allow us to come alive in you. Be fully alive and let our life be a light of your love. God, the revolution that we lead is not of violence, but of power and of love and of a clear mind. So God, would you give us your Holy Spirit to awaken us as a church? Strengthen us as followers of Jesus to live boldly the life of you so that we would be set apart from being just like the world. And God, strengthen our arms to stand together with each other so that we would be set apart together as believers in Jesus. We ask this now in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.